Well, wasn't it a great day to have the baptisms? Not exciting, just tremendous. Praise the Lord for the way he is at work. I was reminded uh, as I was uh, entering the baptism and, and having Nate come down uh, a few years ago when I was baptizing, I was uh, trying to use waders in the baptism. And uh, when I went down like that, the water came right over the top. And uh, I've, I told the congregation that I baptized myself that day because it kind of felt that way. And uh, I was telling Nate about it afterwards. I said, Nate, you about did the same thing. When you came in that step, you about baptized yourself. I wasn't going to have the opportunity. But uh, we'll always remember that. And, of course, I know uh, everyone that's here uh, that had a family member or friend that was baptized. Very, very special day. Well, over the, the last couple of months, June and July, we have been taking a look at the fruit of the Spirit from Galatians chapter 5, and uh, I invite your attention uh, back to Galatians 5. We wrap up this series, and uh, we have been looking at each of the, the descriptions of the fruit of the Spirit. Uh, the fruit is really a metaphor. Uh, it's, a, it's a description of, of, of what one produces in life. And uh, within Galatians 5, we have the fruit of the Spirit, which the Holy Spirit of God produces in the life of the believer. But you remember there was also another section that talked about the works of the flesh. So we have this contrast going back and forth. What the old nature produces, its fruit, if you will, and what the new nature in Christ that's produced by the Holy Spirit. And so we have both of those. And as followers of Christ, we, we see the fruit of the Spirit being developed as we mature, as we grow in Him, and we see that it's something that, that is expected in the, in the way in which we should live, that, that, that transformation from putting the old ways behind, the old way of living, the old way of thinking. What happens to that? It's buried, right? Just like we saw the picture in baptism, the old life buried, and we have a new life that we are to live in Christ, and the fruit of the Spirit help describe what that life is to look like. So I want us to pick up in verse 16, read kind of an extended section here all the way through verse 25, because it, it helps us really see this contrast of a life lived by the flesh versus the life lived by the Spirit. So Galatians chapter 5, let's pick up in verse 16. It says, But I say, walk by the Spirit, and you will not gratify the desires of the flesh. For the, desi the desires of the flesh are against the Spirit, and the desires of the Spirit are against the flesh. For they are opposed to each other to keep you from doing the things you want to do. And so we have this description of the, the old nature still having remnants left. And so there's this battle on whether we will be controlled by that or the new nature uh, with the Holy Spirit. Verse 18 but if you are led by the Spirit, you are not under the, law, under the law. Now the works of the flesh are evident. Sexual immorality, impurity, sensuality, idolatry, sorcery, enmity, strife, jealousy, fits of anger, rivalries, dissensions, divisions, envy, drunkenness, orgies, and things like these. I warn you, as I warned you before, that those who do such things will not inherit the kingdom of God. So that's the old way of life. It's the way of the world, the, the works of the flesh. Verse 22, here's the transformation. But the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. Against such things there is no law. And those who belong to Christ Jesus have crucified the flesh 
with its passions and desires. If we live by the Spirit, let us also walk by the Spirit. So to those of us who claim Christ as Savior, this is our calling. This is the way, that the direction in which our lives are to go. And it's the, the way in which when people look at us and interact with us, it should be this nature that they are increasingly seeing within you and me. Not because of what we're able to do on our own, but it's that, that, that filling of the Spirit that flows through the new life in Christ. Now, as we think about, about, uh, about growing in Christ, we know that, that His desire is to make changes that are permanent. That we, that we come to Him, he's, he's working on us, and He's growing us to the point where, where we, we don't just change and then go back to the old way. It's not like we, 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 we have the fruit of the Spirit, then all of a sudden we go back and just the, the direction and nature of our life are the old ways. That's, that's not true change. That's not true growth. In fact, I brought a couple of objects in with me to try to help explain that. Um, the first one happens to be a slice of watermelon, a little toy. But as you see, it, you, can, you can change it very easily. And it's changed. You can see that it doesn't look like it did a minute ago. But you can probably guess what's about to happen. As soon as I let go of it, it takes just a minute or so, or less, and it looks just like it did. That's not lasting change. And so the, the kind of change that, that, that the Spirit brings within us is, is, is to be dramatic. It's to be something that is impactful. It changes the way we think, the way we live, and from that point forth, it doesn't mean that we're perfect, but we're certainly different. We've been transformed, and so think of it like this can. It is empty. But you can see that once it begins to be changed, it's not going back to what it looked like a minute ago, right? I mean, we could sit here the rest of the time, and that's gonna, it's going to look like that, right? It's not going back to the, to the way that it looked before. And that's, that's the way that it is when we, when we follow Christ, that He makes a change within us that stays. It continues. We continue growing. We continue understanding, developing, maturing. But that's the new direction. And as I said, it doesn't mean it's perfect, but we do have the, the, the Spirit that's leading us against the way that we used to live, giving us a new way of thinking, a new way of, of living that He is filling within our being. That's the lasting change as we submit, or as this passage said, as we walk by the Spirit. As we think of the, the fruit of the Spirit, we, we know that these nine descriptions are not nine different fruits, but it's a, it's a way of describing the fruit of the Spirit. Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, self-control. These are, these are not that we pick and choose each of them and say there's nine different fruits. It's, a, it's descriptions of a very special fruit of the Spirit that when that is coming and developing, all of those traits, all of those characteristics are to be developing in the life of the believer. I've had a couple of people uh, come up to me and, and, and try to give good explanation on how you can have nine things that are really one. And one person said, it's kind of like if you have an apple and you know that it, it, it contains many different vitamins within it, you know, multiple vitamins, maybe vitamin A, vitamin B1, B2, so forth. It's all contained in one, but they're characteristics or traits. Another person said, well, it's kind of like when you get a cup of fruit punch, that many different fruits were used to, to, uh, to, to make that, and when you have the cup of it, you're not separating them out. It is, it's fruit punch, and that's what, that's, that's what it is that you're, that you're drinking. And so think of it as, as the fruit of the Spirit, as one fruit that is, being, that is being developed within us and will be expressed in these different ways. Now, we've looked at all of the descriptions except for the last two, gentleness 
and self-control. Those are the two that we're going to consider this morning, and then we will wrap up uh, this series. First of all, I want us to see that gentleness, it's not a weakness. In fact, as we look at the list of these nine descriptions, gentleness might be the one that in our current way of thinking, we might say that's, that's, the, that's the one that I'm, I'm least drawn to. Because in our culture, when we think of gentleness, we think of weakness. You think, what, is, what, is, what happens uh, to people who are gentle? You know, they get walked right all over, right? They get taken advantage of. You know, we don't, our, our culture doesn't necessarily embrace that as a, as a, as a, as a trait to, to pursue. Uh, why do you think it is that we have such a negative reaction to the word gentleness? Maybe we've had experiences ourselves where people have, have taken advantage of, of someone who is uh, 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 trying to express a, a gentle approach. But I would, I would argue that our modern understanding of the word doesn't capture the biblical meaning of gentleness. In fact, uh, I looked at a few different commentaries, and uh, one of them said that it's very difficult to find one English word that would summarize what this one Greek word is all about, that it has, it's, it's multifaceted. And uh, in fact, uh, William Barclay said it's one of the hardest words to translate. So here's a, a definition that Timothy George gave in his commentary. He said, gentleness is a submissive and teachable spirit toward God that manifests itself in genuine humility and consideration towards others. And so you see that the, the, the uh, vertical dimension as one who has a, a spirit that is submissive to the Lord, has a heart that's teachable, but then you also see the, the, the way that it changes the approach to others, that there's a, that there's a change that happens in which, in which someone would, would have humility and consider uh, the one around them. So, so it's a multifaceted word that speaks of submissiveness and teachable uh, spirit and consideration of others. Chuck Swindoll explained it this way. He said, in our rough and rugged individualism, we think of gentleness as weakness, being soft and virtually spineless, but this isn't so. Gentleness includes such enviable qualities as having strength under control, being calm and peaceful when surrounded by a heated atmosphere, emitting a soothing effect on those who may be angry or otherwise beside themselves, and possessing tact and gracious courtesy that causes others to retain their self-esteem and dignity instead of losing the gentle gain. So as you look at, at his, his lengthy description there, does that, does that sound like weakness? You know, weakness is the easy thing to do. And if so if you're, if you're in a heated environment, what's the, what's the easiest thing to do? Just to, to be out of control with your emotions and with your words and your, your actions, that's the easy thing. The, the one who has the gentle demeanor may be the one who's exhibiting strength, the ability to, to have the self-control that we'll be talking about here in, in just a minute, which is the next description of the fruit of the Spirit. So again, there's this Godward aspect, trusting and submitting to God, but it also has this effect upon the way we interact with others. Timothy George said, one who is gentle will not attempt to push others around or arrogantly impose one's own will on subordinates or peers. But gentleness is not incompatible with decisive action and firm convictions. You see what he's saying? He's saying that, that there's still the conviction, there's still the strength, 
There's still this moral compass that is, that is governing the way one thinks and the way one speaks, but yet at the same time is, is not taking advantage of the other, not pushing or imposing one's will on someone else. So we see it's a trait that enables us to respond properly to others. So as we think about this list, we can, we can, we can see that each of them are important. But think about gentleness and the difference that would make in a marriage. Think about the difference it would make in a home, in a church family, if gentleness is something that the Holy Spirit is developing in each one. Think about the way in which the environment will be impacted. In fact, in Titus chapter 3, it says, to speak evil of no one. Here's a description, to avoid quarreling, to be gentle, and to show perfect courtesy toward all people. So this isn't just the idea of being nice. The idea of being, being gentle is, is understanding the situation, not losing conviction, but being able to express appropriately. Yes, a submissiveness to God, but also this courtesy, this, this esteem towards others. Everything about our manner as Christians should indicate gentleness. Now contrast that for a minute. And think about situations in which, rather than gentleness, the opposite is expressed. And maybe you're thinking about a situation you've been through in the workplace or a situation in the community somewhere where, where instead of gentleness, the person is, or the people are harsh, or they're critical. They, 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 uh, rather than being, being gentle, they would, they would uh, come alongside and, and be argumentative, or simply unsympathetic. If you've been in a, in a difficult season and, and, and you, 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 you're, you're needing someone to come alongside with encouragement, but instead, while you're down, they just try to make it harder on you, just beat you down even more, just put salt in the wound. That, that's not a gentle person. The gentleness that's being described here is, a, is an understanding of the situation to be able to give what's needed at the proper time and in the proper way. That's how the Spirit leads us. And so those words of, of being harsh, critical, argumentative, those aren't words that, that should describe the follower of Christ. Because even in disagreements, even, even in times in which uh, we have different perspectives, it's not, a, it's not an excuse to be ungentle, harsh, or unkind. Here's how Stuart Briscoe describes it. He says, gentleness is the strength. See that word strength? It's the strength of backing off from a fight you could win and a point you could nail down for the sake of the damage that would be done and the greater issues at stake. Now, let me ask you, that's, that sounds like a mark of maturity, doesn't it? That as one matures and one grows in Christ, they're able to discern when is the appropriate time, when is it appropriate to, to not be the one that's trying to win this little battle and in the end lose the entire war. So this, there's, 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 there's a, a maturity that, uh, that comes with the ability of applying gentleness. Another description is found in Ephesians 4, and it, it, it really connects gentleness to unity and peace. Gentleness promotes, it encourages, it supports peace, it supports unity. And so if, if you're in a situation in which uh, there, there's a lot of fracturing and it's very ununified, what you can say, see is that somewhere there's not gentleness present. 
Somewhere there's this, this competing uh, value that's, that's, that's causing a struggle within the environment. But Ephesians 4 says, with all humility and gentleness, with patience, bearing with one another in love, eager to maintain the unity of the Spirit in the bond of peace. Folks, this is our calling. This, if it is a description that is, that is given to us as a church, and we would think about one another in such ways, and we would interact with one another in such ways, we are laying before the world a contrast that the world definitely needs to see. In fact, a few weeks ago, we were talking about this idea of salt and light. And if, if gentleness is something that the Lord is maturing within you and me, and if gentleness is something that he's maturing within this church, I guarantee you, people will, they will see a difference because the world that they're living in, the world you and I are living in is not a gentle world. It's harsh. And, and most people, even as they're coming into the church, they, are, they have wounds, they have issues and experiences that have beaten them down, and they are, they are in need of Christ's touch, His healing upon their lives. And who better than the body of Christ to be the ones that can exhibit that kind of gentleness? Now, again, are we thinking of the gentleness as biblically defined? Not talking about weakness, not talking about setting our convictions aside, none of that, but we're talking about that right, mature approach in which to handle someone when we are, are, are engaging them. So how do we receive this? We've said that throughout this, this uh, series that the fruit of the Spirit is produced uh, within us by the Holy Spirit, and that Christ himself is the perfect example of each of these traits. In fact, many times as we've looked at love, joy, and peace, we've, we've found an example of, of Christ exhibiting that, whether it's sacrificial love and, and, and so forth. But when it comes to gentleness, once again, this is something that he has embodied. In fact, he tells us in Matthew 11, he says, Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and lowly in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. So Christ even describes himself, this idea of, of this quality, this characteristic of, of being gentle. And he says that, that, that we can learn from him. And he says uh, there at the beginning, take my yoke upon you. That would have been a very familiar implement in an agricultural environment where you have two oxen and they're, they're, they're put together by a yoke. In fact, um, I found a picture of one. You can see that device that's bringing the, the two, uh, two animals together. And uh, I know they don't look too happy in that picture. I did look around. I just couldn't find anything of, of two oxen that looked all that happy about being yoked together. Um, but there is a point to that, 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 that when one of the younger oxen would be learning the trade or the, 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 uh, the work that would be done, they would be paired up with, with what? With one that's experienced, right? They would be, be helping set the cadence. They would be helping with the process that, that understands what this what this is doing. And so the younger one is, is in essence, being, being led by the, by the older one. And so Jesus is, is taking that picture out of the agricultural setting and says, take my yoke upon you. Now, would you like to be yoked with Jesus Christ? Do you like for him to be the one that's there that's leading and guiding and helping to navigate the, 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 the roads of this life? 
Well, that's, that's what he offers us. To be our, our Lord and Savior means that he's here with us. His spirit, these fruits, this fruit of the spirit is his spirit living within us, teaching us, guiding us. And so it's his humility, his gentleness that is giving us the ability to live this life. We walk with him. We work with him. We are taught by him. And so Christ gives us this, this invitation. So what are some, some places within the New Testament we can look to to find uh, him exemplifying this kind of gentleness? I'm sure there's many that, that probably come to mind. I want to give two very brief examples. Uh, one comes from John chapter 4, and this is, uh, this is Jesus meeting uh, a lady who is known as today as the woman at the well. And if you look back at John 4, you can see a little bit about her. Uh, she is a Samaritan woman. Jesus is speaking to her. It would have been something a little unusual in that context of that culture. Um, uh, he begins to tell her that he knows about her, that uh, after he says, would you go get your, your, your husband? And then he goes on to say, you've been married five times, and the man that you're now living with isn't your husband. But how did he respond to her, even though he knew the truth? And he would, he would tell her to go and, 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 and not be caught up in sin. He would still respond gently to her. He would come and see her as a person who needed him. And he even said, I will give to you a living water so that you'll, you'll thirst no more. What did she do with the water uh, bucket that she had brought to, to draw uh, physical water? She, she was so excited about the encounter with Christ that she just left it there. He met her need. And he wasn't there as one that was judging and condemning. Even though he fully understood the situation, he was expressing a gentleness as he restored her. And it was through that gentle nature that he was able to have this conversation with her that changed her life. Another example is in Luke chapter 19. We have uh, the account of a man by the name of Zacchaeus. And when you think of Zacchaeus, what do you think of? Yeah, wee little man, right? You think about that. I'm not going to sing it for you, I promise. Uh, but uh, you think about that song as a child. Well, Zacchaeus had an occupation as a tax collector. Now, you think he would have been a very popular guy? No, not at all. In that day, the, the tax collectors were viewed in many respects as, as people that were traitors to their own people because the tax collectors were collecting money for the, the Roman Empire. And yet the, the, the Jewish tax collectors, uh, oftentimes the way they, they made their money was excessive tax collection that they'd keep for themselves. So here's a guy that had no friends, and he wanted to see Jesus because he'd heard of him. And Jesus comes to him and, and uh, finds him and says, Jesus, I'm going to, uh, Zacchaeus, I'm going to come to your house today. And here's how the crowd responded. When they saw it, they all grumbled. He has gone in to be the guest of a man who is a sinner. You can just feel the, the tension of that situation, right? Well, what was Jesus exhibiting? Gentleness. Here was a man that, yes, he was a sinner, but he was in need of salvation. He was in need of restoration and forgiveness. And so his approach was one that was filled with gentleness for the opportunity of being able to offer restoration. Think about those two people. Do you think the Samaritan woman had gentleness offered to her very often? Most of the time when she carried her water pot, do you think along the way she was being encouraged and built up? 
Some commentators speculate that, 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 that she might have even tried to go when the crowds weren't, weren't, uh, uh, weren't, weren't at, the, at the well, that she would be looking for those times where she would deal with the, the fewest numbers of people. What about Zacchaeus? You think he ever had much gentleness expressed to him? What do you think his daily interactions were like? Probably very caustic and bombastic and just a lot of conflict and tension and probably threats going each way about tax collection and this, that, and the other. And then he has the Son of God come and in a very gentle way befriend him for the purpose of restoring him. Well, think about those two individuals for a minute. Let me ask you this. Who are the people in your life that are like Zacchaeus or the woman at the well? Who are those individuals that rarely get a word of encouragement? Who rarely have someone that, that approaches them with gentleness? Is anyone coming to mind? Maybe multiple people? Maybe a family member or maybe a, uh, someone you know that's a neighbor or someone you work with? You might be saying, yeah, well, they bring a lot of it on themselves. Well, I'm sure Zacchaeus did too, right? Typically, people like that do. But nonetheless, they need that approach. It's a very Christ-centered approach. Let me ask you this question. What, what difference would Christ-like gentleness make in our world today? What difference would it make in our homes, in our marriages, in our church, if this description of the fruit of the Spirit was one that was seen? Paul would tell Timothy in 1 Timothy chapter 6, that this is something to pursue. He says, pursue righteousness, godliness, faith, love, steadfastness. And look at that. Gentleness made the list. All these great things that, that Paul's telling Timothy to pursue, gentleness is there right there with them. So may the Spirit bring that about. Again, not as a weakness, but as a strength that has the power to make a great impact in the lives of those around us. Well, let's look at the final description of the fruit of the Spirit, and that's self-control. We'll look at this briefly. Self-control is a call for restraint. And it, it fits in with the idea of, of gentleness, but it also has a different dimension in the sense that, that it's the, the idea of restraining uh, oneself. It's like the strength is coming from within. And uh, as Paul was writing to the culture in his day, uh, he, was, he was writing to a people that, that, that very much were, were living life out of control. And uh, uh, he is wanting the believers to know that, that as Christ followers, we are to live controlled lives. Let me ask you this. Would you say that, that our society and that our culture is out of control? Are there examples around us of, of people living life to the excess and not, not within the, the, uh, the, the boundaries that are, that are, that are there? We see out-of-control anger. You can even, I shared recently my experience on I-70, you know. I was on I-70 two ways, Kansas City and back, and saw it in both, both there and back, right? And it's just, it's just all around us to see out-of-control anger. We see the idea of, 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 of out-of-control with substances, thinking of alcohol, something that's out-of-control, not within the bounds of, of moderation. We see it within, within sexuality, this 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 out of uh, out of bounds thinking out of bounds behavior and it's very harmful detrimental to to a, to an individual but to an entire culture as well 
We see out-of-control spending, and so finances not being, not being uh, carefully managed and, and stewarded, and then all of a sudden, out of control, and then there's, there's problems. And so we, we see this. We've experienced it personally. We've been touched by, by what it looks like when life is lived out of control. And so here at the very end of the list, self-control is mentioned. It's as if it's one that, that impacts all the others. Here's a definition of self-control. It's the ability to exercise the will so as to restrain one's desires, emotions, and behavior. And as I read that, that definition, you know the word that jumped out at me? Right there in the middle, restrain. Because what it says is that there must be a reason for restraint. There must be a need for restraint when it comes to when it comes to uh, the, the desires and the emotions and the behavior that, that, that our propensity may be to be out of bounds, to be outside uh, the, what, is, what, is, uh, what is healthy and right. And so this idea of, of restraining these desires, by definition, the strength is to come from within, not from an outside source. In fact, it's a compound word, and it was even a Greek word that was, that was used by Plato and others speaking about a noble citizen, one who has self-control. But in the, the context of the, the Christ follower, it's speaking of control coming from the inside based upon what? The Holy Spirit, right? The Holy Spirit being in residence, doing that work, making those changes like we were talking about at the beginning. So this is the power for the, the self-control. So as believers, we think about our appetites and our passions and our impulses, and we know that, that they are to be managed by the power of the Spirit, that we don't want to live a life that is out of control. Stuart Briscoe said it this way, it involves handling freedom properly. It means I say no to all that God forbids, and I say yes to that which He ordains. So having that, that control given by the Spirit so that we can navigate these impulses, to navigate these desires. In fact, I, I, uh, I was thinking about a passage that Peter wrote, 2 Peter chapter 1, and uh, there's a lot of words that are, that are used, including the word self-control, and I thought I'd share it with you because there is a promise that is connected with self-control that comes out of this verse. Let's begin in verse 5. For this very reason, make every effort to supplement your faith with virtue, and virtue with knowledge, and knowledge with self-control, and self-control with steadfastness, and steadfastness with godliness, godliness with brotherly affection, and brotherly affection with love. So you just see how one builds upon the other. But look at verse 8. There's a real key here. For if these qualities are yours and are increasing, they keep you from being, what are the words used? Ineffective and unfruitful. As soon as I looked at the screen, I realized that's really small print. Maybe you couldn't see them down there. Second line from the bottom, right? Ineffective and unfruitful. And the knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ so think of the, the idea of, of living a life not out of control, but self-controlled. One of the descriptions of the Spirit at work. And what is one of the promises? Those who are living self-controlled along with these other virtues will not be ineffective. You'll be effective. You'll be fruitful. You'll be productive. 
You'll have a, a, a testimony that is, that is growing and reaching and impacting those who are around you. So that's how important this idea of self-control is. Again, go back to the contrast. Self-control versus out of control. And you can see that, that the out of control life is not one that, uh, that we are called to, and nor do I think that it's a life that is, that is attractive to the follower of Christ. We know that the works of the flesh show a serious lack of control. And uh, in fact, um, some of the words that we, that we looked at in Galatians 5, we talked about, uh, we read the word about sexual immorality. Well, is that, is that out of control? Absolutely it is. It's, it's, a, it's, a, it's sexual relationships that are, that, are, that are out of control, not within, not within the healthy boundaries. What about idolatry? One of the words in the uh, early section of Galatians 5, that's, that's worship that is what? Out of control. What about wrath? Wrath is anger that is out of control. What about drunkenness? It's an appetite for something that is out of control. So each occasion we see that, that, uh, that, the, that the aftermath of the works of the flesh really stem from a lack of self-control. Do you remember the strong man in the Old Testament, Samson? Samson was the strongest man of, of, of his time, strongest man that was known. He could, he could conquer hundreds, thousands of men, but what was the one thing that he couldn't conquer? Himself, Right? His own desires, his appetites, they were out of control, and they ultimately did what? They destroyed him. They were his downfall, and it all stems to self-control. You wonder what kind of man he could have been if he had learned self-control. You know, in other aspects of life, we don't like to see things out of control. Have you ever seen a car that's out of control on the highway? That's, that, that always leads to, to, uh, to, uh, uh, to injury or death. What about a fire that's out of control? We don't like to see that, destruction of property, maybe even lives. And then you see a person who's out of control. And what happens out of that? We see, we see relationships that are affected, maybe even broken. We see lives that are, that are harmed, and we see wreckage on the side of the road of a person who lives life out of control. Proverbs chapter 25, the book of wisdom, tells us that a man without self-control is like a city broken into and left without walls. The picture was of the ancient city that had the walls to fortify. What were those walls there for? To protect the citizens, to defend them. But if the wall was broken down or the gate was left open, what was the consequence? The enemies would come in. They would cause harm. And that's the picture for us that there are enemies of our souls that are out there. And if we're not careful, if we're not exhibiting the Spirit-enabled self-control, we will be harmed. We will be taken down. We will be open wide for enemies to attack and siege our lives. But I want to say that self-control is not an end in itself. It's always for some greater purpose. In fact, if we'd had time, we would have looked at a passage out of 1 Corinthians where uh, Paul uh, describes the, uh, uh, the, 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 the Christian life uh, as that like a runner training for a race, that the, that the, that the runner is, uh, is putting upon himself or herself self-control to train, right? 
But the, the idea of training and preparing and, and limiting what one eats and making sure that one is doing the, the correct regimen of exercise day by day isn't just for the sake of the training. It's for what? It's the goal of wanting to be able to complete the race. So when we think of self-control, we're saying no to some things so that we can say yes to a greater thing. And we, as followers of Christ, have been given an opportunity to live a life that brings glory to Jesus Christ. That we can live as salt and light to a world that desperately needs what we have already received. And so by, by looking at the self-control, we see that we're saying yes to something greater, greater to a testimony among our family and our friends. We're saying yes to, to being able to follow the Lord and to live according to his purposes and his wills, not disqualifying ourselves by a life that's lived out of control. And I've been very, very concerned. We don't have the time to go through all that I've, that, I've, that, I've, that I've been noting over the last four or five months. But there have been a number of Christian leaders, noted leaders, well-respected Christian leaders, and uh, some that, that have served in the Southern Baptist Convention at the highest levels of leadership, some who have, who have led churches that are, that are thriving and large and well-known, and some of them who are authors of books. And you know the one thing that these that I'm mentioning have in common? One thing they have in common, you know what it is? A lack of self-control that led to moral failure. And what happens? The enemy comes in, and all that these have worked for begins to, begins to, to be affected. All the, the countless lives and the testimonies, and then it's something that the adversary uses to, 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 uh, uh, to, to harm the witness of the body of Christ. So moms and dads, think about this level of self-control. By saying no to certain things, by, by having appropriate accountability in one's life, it is not just for your own sake and your own well-being. It's for, for those that look to you. It's your family members, your sons, your daughters, your grandchildren. And it doesn't mean that, that these testimonies can't be recovered after, after falling. I'm not trying to say that because we believe in a redemptive, hope-filled gospel. But here we see a warning, a warning given to us to, to embrace the self-control, to live these structured, ordered lives by the Holy Spirit to protect us from having our lives being lived out of control. Some of these powers need to, these strengths need to, need to be in the right, in the right boundaries. We think about fire. Fire has the power to burn down a house, right? But if it's controlled, it can cook a meal. It can provide warmth. You think about water and it, the destruction that it can have and producing flooding, but it's also something that when rightly channeled can, can go through turbines and generate electricity and, 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 uh, and provide uh, power to, to, to cities. So again, this power, this strength that's under control, that's the calling for us. Knowing that we have these passions, these, these energies, these desires, but to live with them in a way that is controlled by the Spirit. In conclusion, we've seen that gentleness and self-control, they are strengths that provide us with opportunities in a, to live in a way that honors God. God blesses others and he protects us 
from the chaos and confusion of the world that's around us, those works of the flesh that we read earlier. God wants to protect us from that. And when we take these two descriptions along with love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, and faithfulness, we have a vision, a vision of a life that has been changed by Christ and filled with His Spirit. Brothers and sisters, may we be known by His fruit, and may He be glorified as we are filled, filled to the point of overflowing and impacting this world around us. We're going to pray together, and after the prayer, we're going to have a response time. Jordan's going to lead a song. The ushers are going to come. They're going to receive the offering. At that time, the the prayer and encouragement team, they can make their way to the tables, and we may have people here today that say, I've been living out of control. I've been living this life uh, in, in the flesh, and I want to be set free from it. I want Jesus to come to forgive me. I want his spirit to to live within. That can happen, friend, today. Today can be the day of salvation. You may have a question about what that means. Head over to those tables, either during the song or right after. Catch one of the members of the encouragement team and talk with them and pray with them. Or maybe you're wanting to take the next step. In your, in your Christian life, and you want to be baptized, or you want to join the church, head over to those tables. Talk with them. Or maybe you're here, and you'd say, Pastor, I'm, I'm coming through a really difficult, challenging time, or I'm right in the middle of one. I'd love for someone just to pray with me. You can go to those tables, sit down, explain to, to them what's taking place. Just let them pray over you, to pray that, that, that God will meet you where you're at, and to provide the grace and the strength that's necessary. So the response time is your time. Time for you to to listen to the Lord and respond as he leads. Would you pray with me? Heavenly Father, we thank you for your word. And God, for all of of these descriptions that that we've been able to, to look at over the course of the summer, a beautiful description of who you are, one who is filled with each of these attributes. And God, we pray that you will fill us, fill us individually, Fill our homes with love and joy and peace and patience all the way down to to gentleness and self-control. May it be a hallmark of our church family as we walk in step with the Spirit, as we live with a desire of of living in, in yoke with you, learning and being taught day by day. And we pray that in the end, you would be the one that's glorified and that as you are lifted up, You will draw people to yourself. We know, Father, that our broken world, our broken community is is filled with, with lives that need your gentle touch. God, may you extend it even now during our response time. To those who are here whose whose lives may be may be hurting from, from decisions of living life out of control. Maybe their decisions, maybe someone else's. But God, may may you allow the the gentle touch of the Savior to be upon us. May we look to you. May you help heal bitterness. May you help heal the fear and the anxiety that that sometimes just just cripples us. Instead, may we have this fresh outpouring of your Spirit upon us. And may it be seen through the fruit that is developed and birthed through each and every one of us. 
You are a lovely Savior. And we thank you for the opportunity that we have to know you and to walk with you. May you have your way among us now in our time of response. For we pray this in the mighty name of Jesus, our Lord and Savior, and all of God's people said.